three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of Tigers and Thirty here on SportsRealDetroit.com. I'm Roger Castillo alongside with Chris Brown as we are recording on a Sunday. And the only reason why we're recording on a Sunday is because, well, folks, Game 7 of the NLCS was last night. And the Dodgers punched their ticket to the World Series as they took on they beat the Brewers 5-1. to one. We'll recap the World Se- We'll recap both series in a second. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the World Series matchup, and this is kind of a quicker podcast because, well, lack of. I mean, in terms of Tiger content-wise, the AFL is going on. Some of the Tigers will get to probably the curious case of the curious case of Sandy Baez will probably be the name of this podcast episode, and uh, we'll get to that. Brad Ausmus becoming the manager of the Angels, which is a lot of people think is a mistake. We'll get to that as well, and some of the. WWE-like drama among both series. And so, Chris, I know we were talking about earlier like your lack of Twitter because usually I, I, I rely on some of your quick puns on Twitter and the I know you've been missing in action, but even with some of the drama stuff, you haven't had any comments. I'm, I'm surprised, Chris, with uh, man, between Manny Machado and, and then just the, the Astros clap back and, and just all that stuff. I'm surprised you didn't say anything. Well, I saw that the Manny Machado... Uh... I saw him, um, you know, clip Jesus Aguilar's uh, foot. They're running to first base, and my immediate thought was like, "Hey, maybe he is like a Rod," which was, uh, I don't know. I didn't tweet it out because whatever. Sometimes you just want to not tweet. But uh, you know, when back when Machado was drafted, people were like, you know, "Hey, this guy's got." We don't want to say it, but he's he's got the a Rod starter kit. And, you know, you never want to compare a guy to somebody like that. But I was like, huh. He could be an asshole too. Um, so yeah, I, I, but you're right. I didn't, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention uh, to the playoffs this year for reasons I don't really even know. I've been tired lately. I've been doing a whole lot of sleeping. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I missed, as you said, that what WWE style nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it is like WWE and yeah. Trust me on the sleep side, man. I'm sure. Plus, you're telling me some of the stuff you're working on in your pool to get together. It sounds like that was very, very taxing, if you will. Oh, well, it wasn't. You know, it's just annoying more than anything. But <laughs> so no, but the uh, both. I mean, the, the both series I thought were interesting in the sense that here we are, Chris Sale, who was battling some sort of. Uh, <laughs> did you know? Did you know why he was in the hospital? Right, Chris Sale. Yeah. I didn't even know he was in the hospital. Yeah, so, oh, see, all right, so uh, Chris Sale apparently was in the hospital. Uh, he had some sort of issue, and the oh, the rumor was because he had some sort of, <laughs> it was, I'm not sure it was a joke or not, and, and somebody mentioned why he was in the hospital, but he was apparently, he had a he had a belly ring that got infected or something, and I d- thought that was, like, just spe- <laughs> irresponsible what? speculation. Did he pop over to Panama City during spring uh, spring training? <laughs> why, yeah. why would he have a belly ring? So uh, yeah, he blamed he blamed belly button ring for a hospital stay, and if this yeah. is on this is on cut four. And mm-hmm. what he said was is that he he jo- he jokingly blamed it. Um, yeah, he yeah he was kidding. That's what he's saying. But that that was all of course the, the joking aspect of it. But still, uh, he was saying that. Get irritation from it, just constantly taking it out, causing irritation. Got a rash down there, but uh, all jokes aside, he has some sort of stomach virus. But 
either way, that was something that was at first. I just want to throw out there because I know you. I was like, I wonder if Chris heard about this or not. But just yeah, I did not. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like the what the Trevor Bauer thing when Trevor Bauer was um, doing doing his rehab. He was, you know, he had put out a tweet about like taking all sorts of weird supplements and doing weird things, and, and some people reported it as a fact when he was clearly joking around. So good for these deadpan pitchers well, making chains left well, and right. It'll be interesting. I, I think uh, Sale is scheduled to start Game One of the World Series, but he didn't pitch particularly well in the uh, in the LCS. But maybe the stomach virus <laughs> explains it. Yeah, there is a you know what's interesting too about Chris Sale in terms of look, look back to Trevor Bauer for a quick second too. Uh, we had a buddy Mark share something about Trevor, Trevor Bauer talking about analytics to the game and everything. And the one thing about that NLCS that stood out to me was John Smoltz. And I don't know if you got a chance to listen to John Smoltz's commentary at all. Did you get a chance to at any point? Uh, not really, but I, I I saw some people. You know, he was he was he was kind of. Uh, in disagreement with what the Brewers were doing. But that's about all I, I heard. Oh, yeah. Because it was basically, he was just kind of talking about how analytics and all the new stuff in the game is ruined. And he was sound like an old man yelling at the cloud. Yeah. Well, that sounds about right. But, uh, you know, that's it's always good to get the announcers who don't like the actual game. Yeah, and there was a lot of, like, back-of-my-day stuff. And I noticed that during the game, he was talking about what he pitched. It was different, and but just as a fan, like, first one, he was with Bob Costas. Originally, he was with Bob Costas. It just sounded mm-hmm. terrible. I, I don't know what it was, but it just sounded like a curmudgeon. And comparatively speaking, the guy they had on TBS um, with Ron Darling, the play-by-play guy was really good, actually. he had, is, it, is it Joe Davis or no? Joe, I, I don't remember who the – I can't remember who that guy was on top of my head, but he was with Ron Darling. And Ron Darling is one of the best in the business, and I thoroughly enjoyed, minus the the Asian comment, but that aside. Oh, there's another thing I missed, I guess. Yeah, he what said the hell? chink in the armor. I've just been in a coma for the last month. I was saying, he, said, he said chink in the armor. I guess that was one of the comments. Oh, yeah. well, he was, was he talking about Hyunjin Ryo? Yeah. Uh, why? Yeah. Yeah. That's just uh, a... <laughs> Yeah, but there's a uh, the the uh, the the TBS guy made a lot of pop culture references to you, and he made a couple bad news re- bad news bears references. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. But uh, but looking at the series though, so let's start with Boston and Houston, Chris. And I expected Boston's bullpen to kind of melt down a little bit. I thought there would be the classic case of David Dombrowski's bullpen, but and and honestly, Chris, it, it surprised me. The Red Sox offense, you knew how good it was going to be. You're seeing one of the best outfields of all time, witnessing one of the best outfields of all time, probably in terms of just de- in terms of like left, left center, left center and right. What kind of what kind of talent you have out there in terms of a, a bullpen, or excuse me, as a as a offensive presence and a defensive presence? It's quite the sight to see. But the bullpen, look, I mean, they finished fourth in the ERA. Boston did in the American League. But some of the guys found their bowl. I mean, rules. Brian, Matt Barnes and Brian Brazier. And Brazier is a guy who's literally out of nowhere. Like This is a guy who was pitching in Korea, pitching in Japan, just trying to find a spot, and is able to really kind of provide them a, a, a 
steady presence throughout the whole series, and then you're getting Steve right back for the series. But that was a part of the that someone impressed me about the Reds. I mean, in terms of the Red Sox, is those two guys able to step in? And Joe Kelly did a pretty good job as well. Yeah, their bullpen as a whole really, uh, really stepped up, and because you know that uh, that was like you said, it was one of the main concerns. Uh, would they be able to, to handle the Astros' offense? And the Astros' offense didn't quite look right in the series. But one of the things I was looking, and, and it kind of felt like an absolute blowout. It was, what you know, four games to one. It looks like a blowout. But I was looking at the stats, and they were actually really, really close. Oh, Did you, you lose you, me? No, you, sorry, I lost it for a second. Go ahead. What were you saying? The last stats were really darn close, and we'll go pick up from that. Yeah, and, and I was saying it, it seems almost like the Red Sox basically won because of cluster luck. Like, uh, you know, they just got the big hits at the opportune times, which is it's kind of strange to say because you look at it and, and the Houston starters gave up 15 runs in 25 innings for like a 5.3 ERA after, you know, having that historic 3.06 ERA. This is the four main starters, you know, uh, Berlander, Cole, Keuchel, and Morton. Uh, so, the you know, credit to Boston for really getting to those guys. But one thing I was looking at, it seemed like they kept bringing up uh, the two out runs during the broadcast of those games. And so I looked at it, and the Astros hit much better with two outs than the Red Sox. The Astros were 17 for 61 with nine walks and two hit by pitches. They basically hit 279, 389, 459 for 850 LPS with two outs. And they scored 13 runs with two outs in the series. Uh, which was like 60% of the runs overall. I think they scored 21 runs in the, the five games. Uh, but the, the Red Sox, they hit, their OPS was 100 points lower, 751, but they scored 17 runs with two outs. Um, and so it really, like, the, their average was 50 points lower on base percentage, 30 points lower, slugging 60 points lower. So it was like they just happened to get those huge hits at the times they needed them the most. I think, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. ended up having a he hit a grand slam and a bases clearing double I think in the series, and it just uh, yeah like other than that, that for the whole series the Astros uh, had a, a seven twenty one OPS and the Red Sox had a seven ten OPS so like the Astros hit better overall and yet they were gone in, in five games and uh, you know there were there were those plays a lot of a lot of little plays. The uh, Benintendi sliding catch to end, what was that, game five? No, game four. Game four, and then the controversial home run that was an out. Yeah, the home, home run. And, you know, Verlander uh, not getting the call against J.D. Martinez on, on what looked like a perfect slider and then giving up a home run on the next pitch. And then, you know, the, the big, basically, series-ending inning where he gave up two deep fly balls that, that looked like they were going to be caught that ended up being a double off the wall and a three-run homer. And that was uh, that was it. So it really it was kind of one of those games of inches. Uh, and I don't know. That's I guess the, the one thing I took away from it is it, it felt like a blowout, but when you look at the stats, it was really a lot, lot closer than uh, it appeared. And you know the one thing too about Tuve too. Look at him; he has knee. He, I think he was having knee problem. He had some sort of knee problem. I think it was his right knee looked pretty banged up. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. The offense, the Astros' offense, never, despite out hitting the Red Sox, it never felt like they were quite right. Like Correa has has had a really rough year. You got to wonder. I think this is like two seasons for him already, where his injuries have really banged him up. I wonder if 
you know, this might be a recurring issue for him. They want to move him to third base or something like that. But, uh, yeah, Altuve was hurt. Springer was, was awesome again, but, uh, yeah, they just couldn't, they couldn't get the big hits when it mattered the most. And, you know, it, it's sort of the same story in the Dodgers, uh, Brewers series. And that one actually was, you know, went, went seven games, but the statistics, it was almost exactly the same in terms of how close the statistics were in that game and, and the, uh, the ALCS. So, I don't know if you had more stuff to say about the Red Sox and the Astros, but but uh, I was just going to point out that the Brewers in this series hit 232, 296, 382, and their pitchers put up a 315 ERA, and the Dodgers hit 223, 305, 328, and their pitchers put up a 318 ERA. So the Brewers actually hit better than the Dodgers. It pitched better than the Dodgers by, by razor-thin margins, but uh, they ended up losing the series. And again, it was because the Dodgers just got the huge hits when they needed them. I was looking. Oh, go ahead. Just go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just looking at the, the the biggest swings and win probability mm-hmm. in the series, and three of the four biggest were uh, you got the the Justin Turner two run homer or whatever, and in game two gave uh, moved the needle forty one percent. The Bellinger walk-off single in Game 4 was a 40% change, obviously, you know, when you get a walk-off win. And then the the fourth biggest was the Puig home run in Game 7. So it was like that series just came down to who got the timely hits and the Dodgers were the team that got them, and that's why they're going to the World Series. What's interesting, too, about the Dodgers, and the only thing I want to say about the Red Sox and Astros, too, I think the, the Red Sox were able to score runners on scoring position and the Astros were not. I think that was a clear-cut difference. But then you look at the Dodgers series, transitioning to that. But, I mean, even in the Game 7, the Dodgers went 1 for 10 with runners in scoring position. And, I mean, you look at Max Muncy has struggled. Enrique and, and Hernandez as well. I mean, was it? I saw a stat that said Muncy was 13, 13 strikeouts and 22 at-bats. I mean, that's just, it's just really, really kind of been a chink I just said what Ron's darling said but no that's not what I meant but it it's a oh I'm actually meant it the right way sorry I was I was overthinking mm-hmm. it a little bit too much but that was something that really stood out about the Dodgers but then then you see Yasiel Puig who's come on like in terms of a Dodger he's one of the most a lot of people either hate him or like him I love Yasiel Puig's energy for the game I like you know, people thought he's been too much of a showboat but I think he's been a consummate player I mean he was he was down in Oklahoma City last year at one point, Chris. I mean, this guy's gone, yeah. gone through a lot. But he hit thirty he hit three thirty three in the series. That the home run that made the difference in game seven. Uh even so that play the the the, the balls that hit the right field that he kinda jumped up and made it a ten four. Whatever you want to say about that is fine. Um but still I, I thought that was but the bullpen, here's what we talk about the bullpen here with the Reds the, the the Dodgers, and I think this is what's gonna make a difference in the World Series. They post a 1.45 in ERA in the NLCS, but this is a different bullpen than it was last year. Well, they I mean you saw last year that in terms of Jansen just being relied two or sometimes three innings, and it, it, it caught up to him in the World Series. But now you have Ryan Madison, who's been doing very well. I mean Pedro Baez has just been really unexpectedly just kind of stepped it up, but. Guys, I love you know Alex Wood, Caleb Ferguson, uh, Dylan Furrow. This is a very good bullpen, and and it showed uh, the Brewers had it ultimately had their bullpen, and you saw yesterday they pulled the card of putting out uh, Josh Hader, 
which some people didn't understand that that was so early. But I thought Craig Council a little bit in this series. I, I think the one flaw about Craig Council a little bit, I thought he overmanaged though, just a bit. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed, and that, that uh, seemed to be bothering Smoltz too, but they, they just went all in on the bullpen stuff, it seemed like. And, uh, I mean, like I said, they ended up with a lower ERA, slightly lower ERA than the Dodgers, so I can't like, complain too much. But, uh, yeah, when you're making a lot of moves, that means, uh, you know, you're giving yourself a couple more chances to uh, to blow it. And really it was uh, Jeffress, Jeremy Jeffress, who, uh, you know, was their part-time closer this year and uh, one of their better pitchers. But, uh, and he just, uh, he couldn't get it done in the series. He was really bad. Ten hits, four in runs, uh, 7.70 RA. That's uh, not going to get it done. And that's unfortunate, but... Yeah, I mean, you look at the other guys, Woodruff and, and Hader, what do they combine for damn near 20 innings and 30 strikeouts? Uh, I don't know. It was an interesting approach, but ultimately, yeah, they didn't get it done. Yeah, and and you look at the way the Reds, in terms of what the Reds or the Dodgers were able to do in terms of even a, from a starter standpoint, too, that's the one thing that's a concern going into game one. Clint Clarkshaw got that little little bit of the monkey off his back. Uh, he's never faced the Red Sox, so it's hard to believe. Yeah, it is hard to believe after all that you know, uh, interleague play, and what have you. But the Dodgers, we talked to we talked to Ryu uh, last podcast. He did not have a good series at all. No, yeah, he had been pitching well, and then yeah, so much for that. You know, it's one of those things where, in such short spans you know especially for a starter you have one one bad outing two bad outings it looks like you're the worst pitcher of all time <laughs> and uh let, let's see how it sucks for for Rio, but he could come out and be lights out for him and then the world series it's you know, it's interesting you know i mentioned just the the difference you know the dodgers game, series went seven games and the red sox you know wrapped it up pretty quickly but looking at the world series matchup like statistically speaking even though you know the dodgers uh what not won ninety two games and the Red Sox won one hundred and eight, so like a sixteen win difference. But the Dodgers actually had the better offense by WAR this year, and uh, you know a lot of that was because they have a better defense. But they were had a better weighted runs created plus too. It was you know minuscule, one eleven to one ten. But uh, yeah, like on paper, this looks like a really even matchup, even though it feels like the Red Sox should run away with it. So I'm kind of curious how this is going to turn out. Yeah, and I, in terms of prediction, I mean, I'm I'm glad that I got the Dodgers right. I mean, the Astros, I thought, were going to let their pitching kind of carry them a little bit. And Verlander pitched well, it's just not well enough. And this makes, in terms of the, the in terms of some some serious significance too about the the team that got back of of seventeen of the first twenty seven teams that made it back to the World Series, fifteen succeeded. The, the following season. So the last person, you know, last team to do it was the Royals who did it. They lost the Giants mm-hmm. seven games and then beat the Mets. So, wow, you're saying that uh, 15 out of 17 teams that made it back the next year won? Correct. Wow. So, yeah, I'm trying, that's, uh, yeah, losing two two in a row, that's going to be tough. Yeah, um, the uh, the Rangers did it. Uh, yeah, yeah, the poor Rangers, Rangers. Yeah, the poor Rangers, and then the, the Braves did it. The Braves yeah. did it ninety one ninety two lost to the Twins in seven and then lost to the Jays in six. Then before that was the A's eighty eighty nine lost to the Dodgers in five beat the Giants swept the Giants 
The Dodgers did it in 77-78, lost both times to the Yankees. Uh, no. And then the Yankees from 76 to 77 lost to the swept by the Reds, and then they uh, beat the Dodgers in six games. And so uh, and uh, we'll go back one more before the big expansion was the the Orioles in 1969 losing the Mets in five, and they beat the Reds in f- uh, beat the Reds in five the following season. So there you go. Yeah. So one interesting thing about this World Series uh, matchup is I haven't talked to talked to anyone. Who was like super excited about it? <laughs> even though this is, I mean, the Dodgers were the best team in the National League for most of the year statistically, even though the record didn't always reflect it, uh, and they made it. And you know, the Red Sox had this historical season. Uh, a lot of people thought the, the Astros were better, but you've got you know two of the two of the three or four best teams in baseball squaring off, and it just seems like everybody's like, ah, I don't want to see these teams, <laughs> which is weird. Uh, and I'm sure it'll get good ratings because those are two, like you know, two top ten markets. But I, I wonder if it's, uh, and maybe I'm just misreading everything. But it, it feels like people are just bummed <laughs> that uh, these two giant payroll teams made it because you know the Red Sox have the biggest payroll in baseball, and the Dodgers are like the fifth or sixth right now. So yeah, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what kind of numbers the World Series does, if it ends up being better uh, than I expected. But I, I, I get the feeling that it's going to – people aren't people aren't going to care as much, which is going to lead to a whole new round of, like, what's wrong with baseball? How do we fix it? Uh, more uh, more articles by Bob Nightingale that no one, like, they'll just sound like their old man yelling at the cloud argument. Yeah. But, no, and, ter- and, and here's the thing, Chris. Like, I – the, the reason – the only thing I'm not looking for to this World Series is that I know after the World Series baseball is over, A – but B, it's too un- like uh, I was talking to my brother about this. That are they too? Are the Dodgers fans insufferable as just as insufferable as Boston fans are? You think? Uh, I mean, you could. I don't know. It's possibly. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Boston sports fans in general are more annoying than than LA sports fans. But it does. It just. It does feel like. Like oh, these two cities need more championship level baseball and sports. It yeah. just it kind of feels like a haves and haves nots. Like I, it would have been really sweet just to see a Milwaukee team. Like Milwaukee's got, you know, I guess they have the Packers sort of, but you you got basically two sports teams and it's a tiny market. I think it's like the thirty fifth or thirty sixth TV market. By all rights, they shouldn't have a baseball team, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It is. It is. I, I think the level of annoying entitlement among fans is probably not helping. Yeah, and, and look, I don't think. Do- I mean, the only thing about Dodger fans, I guess, that annoys me is that they leave early games during traffic, whatever. But that, I mean, that other than that, I think the LA Dodger fans are just as passionate, if not, in terms of like in terms of Dodger blue, in terms of like the Dodgers, I think are more. It is West Coast team. It's not one of those teams that translate across the United States where it's Boston. You know, you see Boston fans here. You don't see a lot of Dodger fans around here. And uh, that's where I think that it's the big difference. I think Boston fans, Red Sox fans are, Red Sox Nation, as they, they call themselves, is somewhat annoying and obnoxious when they are winning because they just, that's, that's all I'll talk about. Then again, but I think that you can, same can be applied for any fan base. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, if, for example, Tigers fans, it translates into when Brad Osmus got hired today by the Angels and how the the franchise is doomed, 
I think it was hysterical. I mean, it, it, he's taking over a situation that is, I think, far worse than when he inherited here. I mean, he does not gonna. He's not gonna have a. He doesn't have a bullpen. Doesn't have a rotation. And you have one of the worst contracts. I mean, it's almost in some ways it's similar because he's got a bad contract in Albert Pujols, mm-hmm. but he also has one of the best players in the game, Miguel Cabrera, and Mike Trout. Same, you know, if you want to parallel those two, but his the rest of the team. Good. I mean, in terms of pitching, good luck. Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see what plays out there. The you know, my my feeling about managers, I've basically hit this home a thousand times. Yes. They're basically like gym teachers. You're just your job is to keep the guys from fighting each other, and hopefully they don't get ringworm. Um, but uh, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes they get hand, foot, and mouth disease. But uh, yeah, with with the Angels roster, I, I, I don't know. I, like I. I Given what the Angels have done in terms of trades and in the draft and kind of smart moves that, you know, they, they went from having the worst farm system in baseball to like middle of the pack without, while still trying to compete at the major league level, which makes me confident that their front office is, is on the right track. And if they feel like Osmus is the, the right manager to help relay their message to the players, I could see it working out, you know, um, people have this tendency to take a manager and paint him as a terrible manager forever when, you know, AJ Hinch lost a ton of games for the diamondbacks. And then, you know, they've won a hundred plus games the last two years for the Astros. You know, managers can only do so much with the talent around him. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how Osmus fits in there. He's been there. What for the last year or two? Yeah. It's some sort of, it was a consultant, correct? Like assistant to the GM. So it was like, they were grooming him for this, I think. Um, you know, Brandon had a funny joke about, you know, because the, there was that, that story about the Astro or the, the Angels doing a, like a two-hour written test for all their candidates. And, and Brandon said, you know, you do a written test, you're going to, of course, you're going to come out with a guy from Dartmouth. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe that's true, but I don't know. The Astros, or the, what do I keep calling Astros? I'm, I'm tired, I guess. The Angels, uh, yeah, they definitely need to do something about the pitching, but they have, they have money, and they have Mike Trout, and like I said, the front office seems to be doing things right. So, I I, I could see it working. It's a tough division, <laughs> you know. What the A's win ninety five games this year? Yeah, and and you know what, you're Chris. We've talked about this before. The manager can only do so much, and that's why I thought Tiger fans were getting a little irrational about this. Well, you're just going to ruin them in the ground. I mean, was his, some of his managerial decisions questionable? Absolutely. But, you know, again, I think it's also a little bit overblown a little bit in the sense that I think Brad Ausmus was not a good fit here to lead a veteran team. So, if it's just, you know, that's my, that's my whole thing. I think he was not a good fit here because he was just a rookie manager that really was in terms of – I think he was he's better fitted to be somebody who's going to relay the message from up top. But Yeah, you know, yeah and I, I think – it's also important to remember that the Tigers, they may have wanted to be like analytically leaning, um, but they didn't have anything set up really. I think they had some shift data, but I don't, I, you know, it's very possible that Osmus might have wanted more information and the Tigers had nothing to give them and, and might, might have wanted, you know, because the biggest criticisms for him, I think, were his 
he was very strict on like bullpen roles. Remember, it was like you know Jabba's yeah. the eighth inning guy or Benoit's the eighth inning guy, and and that kind of came back to haunt him a lot. And then lineup construction, people were complaining about all the time and stuff like that. Like that's really basic, uh, just safer metrics uh, analysis. But the Tigers had nothing. Remember, like so, Auspice was hired in what fourteen? That's correct. Yep. Or thir- thirteen. Thir- no. The thirteen, the fourteen, right? 14, yeah. So yeah. 14, 15, 16, 17 were his managerial years. Dabrowski was fired in 15, was it? Yeah, it was – Was it? Oh, that was 16, wasn't it? Or, so let's see. 2014 was – I think it's 2015 because 2014 was their last gasp. You know, they traded for Price. They went and, and lost in the uh, ALDS. And the next year, everything fell apart, and they traded Price and Cespedes. And then Dabrowski was gone. So basically, Avila took over late in 2015 that was late in Auspice's second year and agreed to... I remember, you know, I was doing the the Bad Hop radio show at the time, and and I was sure that Avila was just going to fire Auspice, but they kept him. (laughs) And then they're like, yeah, we're going to go analytics. So basically, like, yeah, the first two years of, of, of him as a manager, they had no analytics for the most part there. So, I don't know. Like, we talked about this before. I think most teams want managers now who are basically babysitting the players, are friendly with them, can relay information from the front office to the players, not this sort of classic skipper of the ship, stern Jim Leland type. Um, And and I don't mean to say, like, you know, Leland was obviously beloved by his players too, but he was also kind of an authority figure, and I don't think – that's what teams want anymore. They don't want the Joe. I mean, there was asking in our Tiger chat, how come Joe Girardi has not gotten consideration? I think it's because he's the kind of the old school type, and you know, even like for example, for example, today the the Reds hired uh, David Bell, and mm-hmm. he's kind of a kind of new school of thought, correct? Yeah, I would think so. I, I mean, yeah, I was talking to Taylor Blake Ward, who uh, you know used to write for scout and yeah. I don't know if he still is, but he covers the angels. And I said, you know, I was kind of surprised that Girardi wasn't involved given his relationship with Epler. And he was like, I don't think the relationship with Epler was any good. Um, so Girardi wasn't even, as far as he knew, he wasn't even like one of the eight guys. I think they interviewed 10 guys, eight to 10 and Girardi wasn't even one of them. So it was never really. So yeah, it seems like let's just team teams just don't want other than <laughs> the tigers, apparently like sort of classic, Skipper, although Gardner seems much more like a goofball than like a taskmaster. So, but yeah, I, I think this is just just the way players are responding, or at least the way the front offices now want their managers. And uh, I don't know. It, it, I think Osmus came off as pretty crusty to the media here, but I'm pretty sure that the players liked him. I don't know. I, we never really heard anything to the contrary. Yeah, I I, I, would, I would second that. I I felt that the, the players had the basically you know they never went undermine them or anything. There wasn't there wasn't mutiny in the ranks, if you will. But there's and like players only only meetings, or I'm sure there was one or two of those, especially during their losing streaks. But yeah, I was surprised Jim Riggleman did not get some consideration after he did a really good bang up job after that disastrous start by uh, the Bryce. Uh, Who's the manager? 
Oh, I forgot. Brian, was it? Uh, Brian Price is, or something like that. Brian like, Price sounds yeah. about right, yeah. Yeah, and he did a bang-up job getting him back over. I mean, they had a, I think they were above 500 the rest of the season, or they, the second half of the season, they did very well. But I, I, maybe he'll get some considerations elsewhere, or maybe he's just more going back to another role. But yeah. but as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I think, like I said, I think the, the, some of the fans are making more big deal out of this than what it is. So, uh, But, I mean, I think... The Angels still have some work to do in terms of pitching. And the reason why I brought up their contracts and the, and the pitching is because I felt that that was a reason. That was a difference between them and Oakland this year, and of course Seattle. But then Seattle just fell apart because that's just what Seattle does every year. So um, before we get to, uh, we do have a Tigers Twitter question from Terry. From Terry, um, what's what's going on in the AFL, Chris? Let's do an AFL update. Uh, yeah. So it's where we get the first. Uh... Uh, two full weeks into the AFL now, um, and it's 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 interesting. You know, most if you were to pick out like the three or four top hitting prospects in the AFL, I think three of them are actually the top hitters so far. And uh, Vlagerio Jr., who's of course just knocking the hell out of the ball, he's hitting five seventeen. But also uh, Peter Alonso of the Mets, their first baseman, is is hitting. Uh, He's got three home runs, two doubles. And then Keston Hura, the second baseman from the, the Brewers, um, who I think, you know, we didn't discuss it. We don't really need to. But I think the Brewers should be uh, sticking around for a while. I don't uh, I don't think Kristen Yelich will have quite the season he had this year again. But uh, there's a lot of talent on that team and some guys coming back from injury. But, uh, yeah, so I mean, the only other player who's like a big-time prospect is Taylor Trammell. And he hasn't been great. He's okay. But, uh, you know, the AFL is mostly an offensive league. And uh, so, overall, those those teams are, uh, or those players are doing what they're supposed to. As far as Tigers players go, you know, they got four guys out there. Daz Cameron and uh, Danny Woodrow are actually playing pretty well. Danny Woodrow, is, I, I, you know, I haven't heard any scouting reports yet. So I don't know if it's – and that's the main thing with the Arizona Fall League is you really want the scouting reports more than the numbers because it's a small sample and it's dry air and it's hot. But Woodrow's got six deals and he's hitting like 333. Daz is uh, hitting, I think, like 270. Basically, you know, a reasonable facsimile of what he was doing in AAA. Uh, Jake, uh, Jake Rogers is uh, three for 15, I think. Hasn't really had a chance to – unload like the way we would like but we know he's kind of a streaky hitter and then Danny Panero just has a handful of uh, plate appearances like a dozen but the the Mesa Solar Sox their team they're tied for first at six and four there's never really much space uh, in the standings at the uh, Arizona Fall League on the pitching side uh, you know Tigers sent four relievers out there although I guess Greg Soto is, is technically a starter he started a couple games but uh yeah, and, and so Eduardo Jimenez has been pitching pretty well. Schreiber has been pitching okay, although he's been dancing around. Uh, I think his whip is like 1.7, but he's only given up one or two runs. Uh, but, yeah, the, the story is kind of uh, Sandy Baez, who has just been getting murdered out there, and it's kind of a continuation of what happened in Double A this year, and it's just kind of mystifying for a guy who's got such a hard fastball and it's a mid nineties gets up to the high nineties, but it just is straight as hell, I guess, because 
was it eight earned runs in three innings so far? That's just brutal. Um, yeah, so I it, it's like I said, it's it's small sample size, and the stats don't necessarily matter that much. But what what we saw in Detroit and what they saw in Erie, you do wonder if they're even going to bother keeping him on the forty man. I mean, you you don't want to get rid of a guy with that kind of arm, but. Uh, yeah, he doesn't seem to be able to get past double A at this point, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. And and it, there are other winter leagues going on right now. Uh, the Venezuelan League and the Dominican League are underway. Daniel Norris is down there in the Dominican League. He's he's had two really good starts so far. And then uh, Willie Castro and Jake Robson are also down there playing. So that's uh, they're both playing pretty well. I think Willie Castro's got. Uh, so let's see, what is he? He's seven for twenty-six with a double and a homer and a steal. No walked, five strikeouts, which is seems very Willie Castro-esque. Uh, and, and Robson is down in Venezuela, I believe, which is like, uh, oh no, he's he's down in the Dominican as well. Robson's uh, five for eighteen with a triple and two steals. He's hitting three thirty-three. So. You know, a couple of interesting prospects there in the winter league still playing, but uh, you know, there's another, there's another, I think, three weeks of the Arizona Fall League, and then two months plus of the Dominican League, and then two months of the Venezuelan League. So, periodic updates, but there's not uh, not a ton to glean from this. Like I said, it's mostly the scouting reports that you want to get from the Arizona Fall League. Yeah, and, and especially with. Uh, Come like the Caribbean, uh, the Caribbean World Series, and that's also like a, towards the latter part of January, I believe that's what it is, or February too. That's also yeah. those kind of uh, tournaments. I love that kind of stuff because I feel like that's a that's an a different type of uh, competition level gets up there. So yeah, it's super fun. Uh, it, but again, it seems like whenever there's a Tigers minor leaguer who ends up in the Caribbean World Series, it's your it's like Harris Rodriguez or Edwin Espinal or these guys who are just Orc players, but it'll be interesting to see. And a lot of times, the guys who are interesting prospects, like I don't expect Robson to spend the whole winter down there. He'll probably play for like a month and then come back. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it's something. Baseball never ends. <laughs> People think it's over, but uh, yeah, no. it never ends. No, never. And uh, you're right, it never ends. It never ends. But also at the same time, I mean, it would be nice if Winsiel Perez makes an appearance in the Korean World Series. Pit, you know coming out of nowhere as a as it continues to raise his uh, player status well you know what i don't i don't think he got drafted did he get drafted in the so that's one of the interesting things about the the dominican league is they do a draft and there are eight teams and then those teams have your rights for several years and i think the only tigers player who got drafted this year was uh elvin rodriguez so I don't know. I, I think you might have to before you can get drafted. You might have to spend like at least a full year in a ball or the majority of the year. So I don't know if Winsiel can actually play down there, but uh, or Winsel. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is, I'm not an expert on the, the the rules and regulations of Dominican League baseball. Maybe I should look into it more. But uh, yeah, and uh, Isaac Paredes was in the Mexican League last year. I don't think he's scheduled to do anything like that this year, but. And then later, later in the year, of course, the, the the last league is the Australian Baseball League, which we'll probably get Ulrich Boyarski in there again, and uh, 
Warwick Sopold will probably be back. But uh, oh boy. <laughs> that's the Australian league is, is usually not usually not going to see a lot of prospects out there. Uh, although a couple years ago, that's where Ronald Acuna really kind of blew up. He was out there because he had missed most of the year with injuries. So every now and then, there's some fun to be had. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I hopefully the the cover. I know the coverage for the AFL is kind of or excuse me, the years or the Australian Baseball League would be kind of hard to find. So yeah, but can you imagine somebody just sitting out there setting up camp and just wrecking stats up, and then. Just to get out there, scouts. Is there a scouting station set up down there in Australia, Chris, or that just depends on case by case basis? I'm sure that there are some scouts who head down there to, uh, but it's it's usually you know at this point, those are mostly you know non prospects. There are a handful of prospects, but I think for the most part, like if teams have Pacific Rim scouts, like people out there scouting Japan and Korea, they're probably they'll probably pop down to Australia. Um, I don't know exactly the schedules for the the Japanese and the Korean leagues, but if there's a free moment, I'm sure they'll head down there every now and then to see what's uh, see what's up with Jack O'Laughlin. Jack O'Laughlin, yeah, he's he's a guy who's uh, was in Connecticut. Uh, he ended the year in Connecticut, Connecticut, correct? Yeah, uh, he was. Um, he's a young young kid. I think he's only 18, and. Uh, you know, there were some some good reports on him heading into this year, and then as his pro performance, the the reports weren't quite as good. It was kind of a, you know, the thought was he had like a plus curveball, and it was really kind of more fringy, and he's a lefty. He's a big-bodied lefty, but the velocity's fringy too, so I don't know. He's a young, interesting player, but, you know, with, with these super young guys, it's always tough to tell if they become prospects or they just kind of kick around the low minors, you know, there was a point when I thought Zach Shepard was, uh, had a really good chance to be the future third baseman for the Tigers. And he just never could get out of high A ball. So yeah, it's tough with these Australian kids. Yeah. And especially cause they're still getting used to the game and, and I'm sure the schedule is also picking up a little bit too, uh, in terms of playing baseball at a, at a higher level. So, um, yeah. One thing before we get out of here, uh, let's answer the question. We had a, we had a question from uh, Terry before we get out of here for the evening. Terry P. Terry Paxis. I hope it's, uh, you know what, I'd like it if his last name was pronounced like Poonchki. P-A-C-Z-A-S. But, uh, yeah, what did he ask? He said, anything about the future of this outfield? Uh, any power? Any feared power hitters coming up through the system? Are we looking at trades or free agency to get them when we compete? Um, so yeah, I mean, that's something we've touched on before that, that the Tigers seem to have, uh, sort of unexpectedly shored up their infield a little bit in the minors, but suddenly the outfield looks like an issue. They've got like a dozen fourth outfielders, but yeah. nobody, nobody who really looks like a future stud. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's remains the case. I mean, we're still pinning our hopes on, on Daz Cameron as the future center fielder. Uh, but beyond that, you really kind of, for any potential regulars, down in the minors, you're, we're still looking at like maybe Parker Beddoes and hoping against hope that he figures it out. Um, but yeah, you got Kristen Stewart. If you're talking about power hitters in the minors, he is he is the one really interesting power hitter. 
uh, 25 bombs this year in the minors. Um, but we've, you know, we've discussed him a bunch that, that he's got power. It's a matter of how much he's going to hit and get to it. He's got some patience, but it's also a matter of how much does he actually have to hit to counteract how poor his defense is going to be. And I maintain it's got to be like 30 home runs, which he might not be able to do in the majors. He probably won't be able to do, but you never know. Like we said, he's got patience. He's got the raw power. He, he could do it. Um, beyond that, in the minors, just in terms of power hitters, there, there's really not much to speak of. The, the only other guy in the minors who hit 20 homers this year was Josh Lester, who went on like a home run binge in the last month of the season. Uh, he hit 21 playing third base and first, first base for Erie, which makes him sort of interesting. Uh <laughs> You know, he's one of those guys, I think I've mentioned that he might just hit his way into the majors at some point for a cup of coffee. But I don't think he's, he's certainly not a feared power hitter. I wouldn't describe him that way. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, like uh, Jake Rogers, we talk about, he's got plus power, but he's going to be a guy who's, who's going to be, you know, a lot of swing and miss. And uh, it, we, you know, it's, it's tough to project him to hitting power in the majors this year when he was struggling to hit above 200 for most of the year in, in double-A. You know, he had a great second half, was hitting much better than that, but he seems to be a guy who needs a little while to adjust, so it might be another year, year and a half before we see him. And then Isaac Paredes. Paredes is, uh, you know, hit 15 bombs this year, I think, as a infielder. And I... I I just don't know how much more power he's going to hit for. He obviously, he makes really good contact, really hard contact. He walks about as much as he strikes out. So he's the most exciting offensive player, I think, in the system. But he's already kind of maxed out physically. So unless you're getting, you know, a boost from the juiced ball, which is going to be in AAA and the majors next year, I can't see him hitting for more than like 20 home runs ever. Maybe, you never know. I mean... He could uh, just sell out for power and hit 25 or 30. But again, I don't think that's a guy that I could see him developing into kind of a feared hitter if he's if he's hitting close to 300 with power. But that's you know him maximizing his his skills. Um, yeah, and beyond that, I, I mean I can't think of anybody. They drafted Ray Rivera with the hopes that he would be a power hitting first baseman for him in the future. Yeah, and he does. He's he's got 70 grade raw power, but the hit the the ability to get to it. Is still very much a question mark. I was going to say uh, within play, the organization and w- among scouts. Then you also play the outfield. He played the outfield a bit this year in West Michigan. Yeah, he's a he played the outfield, and he is he's a first baseman playing the outfield. That's just the way it is. I mean, he's he's as big or bigger than Stephen Moya was, and probably worse defensively. Oh yeah, he was terrible in what we saw him in uh, West um, Michigan the first time. You know, it, it's. And that's the thing, just, you know, I guess you do that for versatility or just to get him, you know, because you can. But I think he's a first baseman, and I think he's, I don't know if he's going to hit. I don't think he's going to hit. Lance Parrish was very skeptical about him getting past a ball without changing. But uh, the raw power is there. Maybe something clicks. But, uh, yeah, that's, it's, and wasn't there an article recently about the Tigers, um, they're going to start developing to play to their park. Yes. Yes. Which, <laughs> so that, that, that was strange. And, and the thing is, I think they're just saying, I think they're just selling the stuff to just to kind of keep 
things kind of in somewhat organized way or distraction distract the people. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking at. I was thinking about Toledo. I was thinking about Erie. I was thinking about even Lakeland. And you're right, Chris. There's not one outfielder that comes to mind. You look at somebody like Long Lens, Derek Hill, who can't stay healthy. Even then, he's not a power hitter. Oh. Jose, uh, um, Ozaka, or, uh, yeah, Azakar, he's, uh, he doesn't walk. He's got speed, good defense, strong arm. Yep. But like I said, he doesn't walk, so he probably won't hit. And even when he does hit, he doesn't show much power. Cam Gibson has, you know, some pretty good raw power. But again, that's, he's kind of, we compare him to Brock Dethridge as this really toolsy guy who swing probably just won't work in the majors. Um, and Jake Robson is a fourth outfielder who might hit double digit homers at the most, I would think. But yeah, it's just it, to, to answer the question, I think if the Tigers are going to compete in the future, they're probably going to have to uh, trade for outfielders or sign an outfielder free agent or uh, get you know a, a good one in this, this upcoming draft, which is a possibility because the 2019 draft has a lot of interesting college outfielders a lot of interesting position players in general it's a very deep draft for position players and very poor for for pitching which is kind of the opposite of last year so maybe they can land a guy who can help them out there but uh, yeah right now it's not there it's it's i think that's probably one of the bigger needs in the system uh, apart from just getting some star quality players you need more more potential uh, regulars in the outfield and more power. Um, as much as we're talking about well, the end of the podcast, I mean, we're talking about last week about Monty, uh, last time we are on two weeks ago with Monty Harrison, who's had a pretty good off season so far. Um, in terms of like, just the way he's, I, I, where is he? He's, I forgot where he's playing at right now, but I know. Monty, Monty Harrison, yeah. uh, the, the uh, Brewers, I yeah. think he's in the fall league. Oh, the Marlins. I, I think he was the, the, Oh yeah, he was on the Brewers. Now he's in the Marlins. Yeah, yeah. sorry. No, it's okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, just, I heard he's off to a pretty good start. So that being said, I, I think if the Tigers can get somebody who's like a five toolsy player, similar to that, with, with power, with a good defensive presence out there, you know, I hate to say, I mean, Jacoby Jones is really good defensively, but offensively showed some power, showed some glimpses of power, but it's just it's. I think the Tigers. You're right, Chris. I mean, if they're going to get a haul back for or a haul back for a, tr- a trade, or it has to be with uh, somebody that has on the roster right now, starter wise, a, a pitcher who can bring pitching. Here's the thing: I think with pitching being such a premium in the off season, I think premium pitch or a, a, if the Tigers have a good pitching, that'll give them those outfielders that, that they they need. Because there's teams out there. I'm sure a team like Oakland, for example, who always seems to have a, a, they produce some really good outfield talent, for example. Or the Yankees, or something like along those lines, that could probably chip away an, an outfielder or two that can provide something. Like I mean, the Oklahoma Sooners quarterback Kyle uh, or Kylie. Kyler uh, Murray. Yeah. yeah. The shock of the draft. The shock of the draft. You know. You could you could hear the the shock in my voice. Um, yeah. No. I uh, I don't know. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> they went they went for athletes in, in this draft, and I think they'll. Maybe they'll keep doing that, um, but they need to. They need work. They need help. They need something. I haven't looked at the. We got a. We got a late question 
on Twitter I just saw okay. from Gator Gator Punisher, or as I like to call him, Gator Punisher, football trophy, 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 basketball trophy, trophy, baseball trophy, Gator. Um, at least that's what his name is on Twitter. Uh, he just said, up-and-coming relievers, position players, free agent targets, rule five trades. That's a bit much for us to cover right now, Gator Punisher. But well, uh, let's start. So you know what? All right, I'll get. I mean, that's, that's we're not going to run through the entire offseason yes. right now. But we could. I mean, we could talk about relievers. I guess I don't you know. know. We could say that for offseason special that's coming up soon. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah, because yeah, that's that's. I mean, I want to do some research about potential free agent targets and Rule Five guys. We've we've hinted or talked about how there are a couple organizations like the Padres and the Yankees that are going to have have some real forty man crunches soon because they've got so many talented prospects at the low levels so we can look into that for sure but uh, probably not not today gator punisher sorry yeah gator, go back we, to punishing those gators <laughs> we appreciate the question however so uh yeah by the absolutely way, we do have a, a winner for the itunes review and uh, we'll be sending out the gift card to him and he gave me his inbox information so i have it out and it'll be going nice. out this weekend so uh did not forget about it we just took the week off last week because both chris and i need to recharge a little bit that was a we had a cow like Ripton streak of almost a year and a half without missing a show. My, I mean, I, don't, I, I mean, even in England, we had a show done before I left for England, and then I think you and Brandon filled yeah. in. Yeah. So we did it when I was in Colorado. You did it when you were in England. Yeah. Yeah. So the streak, it, I think, I was it was rightfully so because I mean, I'll be honest with you, it was really as much baseball as I watched. I needed to kind of break the talk. Well, it's a tough year for the Tigers. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, we try to we can be negative at times. Uh, I think we try to be very realistic i think that's our goal yeah uh and <laughs> when the team sucks for a whole year that realism can get on you but uh and yeah it's just you know sometimes you need a little little bit of a break but it's one of those things where talking about baseball makes me want to talk about baseball more so i'm glad we did the show tonight yeah me too and uh look forward to uh the offseason special which will be coming up probably in a few weeks once we uh figure out what's going on but uh well, yeah, we'll do a World Series recap. We'll again probably, probably by weekly, maybe weekly depends on what's going on. But if there's anything that breaks down with the Tigers, we'll uh, we'll be the first to talk about it. But uh, for now, yeah, we'll uh, be probably back. Yeah, probably two weeks once the World Series. We'll let you watch World Series and uh, the offseason special. We're getting uh, the kinks worked out for that right now, and uh, we'll we'll reveal guests and much much more coming up. And uh, don't forget to check us out on iTunes under Tigers SRD. Spotify, Podbeam, Stitchler, we're all over the place, and uh, you'll find us all over sportsradiodetroit.com. And, Chris, you got an article coming out, right? Uh, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I kind of got sidetracked. Another thing I got sidetracked, uh, one of my friends from growing up wrote a book, um, and it's just the it's basically his life story, and it's called Candy for Dinner. And it's just the most heartbreaking damn book. Like, oh god. So, but he needs help editing it. So I've been kind of working on that. Um, but yeah, I would like to. I've got a couple articles that have been sort of meandering through all throughout the the year, and they should be coming up. But we also have. I did the. You know, we talked about the winter leagues. I have my winter league recap up tomorrow, uh, and then we'll be doing a lot of season recaps for the minor league teams. And then we're going to start in, I think, the, the Tigs tools are going to start again. So it never ends, the baseball. Yeah, plenty of action going on. And, uh, yeah, by the way, if we're going to make a prediction, Dodgers in six. 
I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call my shot right now. Dodgers to six. There we go. There you go. Yeah, I'll. Uh, well, I guess I have to be different. I guess I'll say Red Sox in seven. And you have a right to be because I, I, I have a feeling about this World Series is not gonna blow as well for the Dodgers, but at the same time, I don't know. Man, that bullpen's really good. With the Dodgers bullpen yeah, or Dodgers bullpen? Well, I mean, they, they were kind of beleaguered. Uh, up until the series, I know a lot of people were like, "Oh, that's going to be the big weak point." But yeah, they really came through this uh, this series. So I don't know. I, I want to go back and find out who we picked. We need to go back and, and find our predictions way yes. back at the beginning of the season. Yes, and you know what? I I, I will. Be, you know what? This we'll do. I'll do the research on my end, and I'll find it, and we'll put it on Twitter. And mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty sure. I think you call the red. I want to see you call the Red Sox. I really believe that. I I don't know I yeah like, I honestly don't remember so that's that's why I'm just curious because it could have been something ridiculous like Astros and well not ridiculous obviously but maybe the Mariners. that would shock me if it was like Astros and Nats. But. Oh yeah, maybe I maybe I call the Mariners again because I thought it was just I was, <laughs> you know some Seattle based I don't know maybe I, I was getting the, yeah. excited about the chime the lim, the lime chili cock, or uh, grasshoppers to sell or something like that I don't know but uh. Huh. We'll find out. We'll post it on our website. So thank you so much for listening, to Tigers SRD. We'll see you in a few. In a, we'll see you in a few weeks.